Hello, everyone. I'm Dan Mosier, and this is the Mosier Media Podcast. And today I want to talk about HR issues that are facing those of us who own a company in the creative services field, those of us who employ graphic designers and videographers and editors and script writers and producers. We have a unique challenge, and of course, HR is very challenging at any business. It's a it's a, a lot of work, certainly, to put together a great team to do all the recruiting and hiring and hundreds of candidates for one job opening you have and going through all the resumes. And building a team is hard work. That's why big companies have HR departments. But when you're a small business, you are the owner, you're the finance department, you are the salesperson. And of course, you're the HR department. So for those of us in that situation, we have to know a little bit about a lot of things. And today what I want to address is the issue of being that HR person and doing the right thing and making sure you're in compliance. And certainly, as I have said many times before, I have many questions and very few answers. And I have in my life a wonderful and intelligent HR person who is extremely good at her job. And I am hoping someday that she might listen to this podcast and that we could have a discussion about some of these issues. And then what I would like to do is bring the answers that she provides to another podcast. So stick with me on this. Hopefully there's a lot of folks out there listening who are in the creative services field and potentially even a lot of business owners out there who own operations working in photography or video production or graphic design or website design and development and all these wonderful fields. And so a lot of what I talk about in this podcast probably geared towards that audience or I probably say things or offer up questions or discussion points that might hopefully fuel some discussion or be food for thought for people in this field. And what I'll start off with is that building the ecosystem, the corporate culture, is in a way like starting a fish tank. And my son and I got an aquarium. We got a five-gallon aquarium, and this was about a year ago. We went in and bought one, and we had a hard time getting the ecosystem started, and we lost a lot of fish. We had to get the water right. We had to get the, the fish in there and get them fed and get the whole process moving, all the rocks at the bottom and the plants and the, the water to have the right chemistry, to have the right pH level. And unfortunately, we, we lost a lot of fish. And the pet store that we were working with was very kind, and they would allow us to bring back a dead fish. And they would replace it for us. Now, these fish, these tropical fish are, I don't know, three or four dollars. But, you know, you're going through them, uh, you know, losing one or two every every uh, couple of days. And we were just really struggling. And putting a team together and putting a bunch of creatives into an office and setting up a bunch of IMACs and giving everybody projects and clients and getting all of that off the ground is hard to do. It is like starting a new aquarium from scratch. And once you have it up and running, once you have it going, the next challenge is adding new fish to the aquarium. It is possible that you could have everything going great. And then you have an opening. You need to make a hire. And you have to be very careful. Because not only do you have to use all the other hiring criteria you have, but you have this ecosystem. 
You have the chemistry just right. You don't want to bring in someone that will upset it. And that could happen. So now, in addition to all the other hiring criteria you might have at your creative services firm, at your company, at your your photography studio, you have to think about how is this new personality going to affect the great chemistry we already have. And it is possible. It is very possible. Someone can come in and improve things and, and be a real wonderful addition to the team. And it is possible that you could bring in somebody that throws things off. And we're going to get to, in a minute, how to bring perhaps new folks into your mix. Some of the things that I have figured out that, that work for us, and maybe it's just food for thought. Maybe it would work for your operation. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe you're a person working for a creative services firm listening to this, and you're thinking, well, does my boss or does the person that own our firm think like this? Is this how things happen? So it's all food for thought. And one thing I want to address is the need for the background check. Because I am by no means a perfect person. I happen to have a a clean background. I happen to pass the background checks when we have companies that want to issue us access badges to certain areas. Or there are times if you're going to do work for the federal government or if you're going to go into a facility uh, like a a NASA facility, for example, and you're going to be the video production team. Or even when we were doing work years ago for the Girl Scouts and we were going to do a fundraiser film for the Girl Scouts of Northeast Ohio and they wanted everybody there to have a background check. And that's perfectly appropriate. That is absolutely the right thing to do. But this is where the issue of the background check comes in. What if you, as an owner of a creative services firm, didn't know that one of your employees isn't going to pass the background check, and you don't find out until you're in a situation with a client that would like to have three or four approved vendors, approved contractors, and they're your employees coming into the the Girl Scout camp or the, the NASA training center or what have you, then... This is not the time to find this out, but you also, you're in the creative services field, and certainly we can be forgiving and understanding. Human beings make mistakes, and just because I pass a background check does not make me a better person than anyone else, and I look at that when I see a creative person, and I think, well, what if they have a DUI? Does the DUI matter? It matters if I want to put the person on our insurance policy. We have a commercial insurance policy. We have an insurance policy that covers our vans and production vehicles and that sort of thing. And what if that person isn't on the policy? Or what if you go to add them and it doubles your insurance premiums? This is something to consider. We, you know, maybe if you have an employee that has a DUI, you say, well, we're going to hire you, but you're not going to be allowed to drive the company vans or production trucks or what have you. The other issue is, of course, the unfortunate situation where, uh, you know, we're in this uh, heroin or opioid epidemic and uh, the felony drug charges. I mean, certainly uh, when you think about young professionals in college and, you know, I don't uh, I don't encourage this, but I would certainly be understanding or accepting or forgiving if somebody said I did drugs in college, but you're going to pass a drug test. When you're a young professional coming into the field, even if you did, you know, this, that and the other in your sophomore year of college. But the problem is, what if you did something and you made a huge mistake? 
they are, and this is a not a you know discussion that we would get into here, but they being the the justice system and the court system are handing out drug felony charges left and right. I mean, it's it's, and once you get that, you're done, you're done. And so, what do you do with the felony? And certainly, uh, there's different levels of felonies, and there's different uh, charges. I mean, if I mean if. Uh, a felony, uh, gross sexual imposition sort of thing is different than a felonious, you know, uh, felonious assault is certainly something that we probably couldn't have uh, without question. And I really don't want to get into what Mosier Media's specific policies are here. I am throwing all of this out as food for thought. And, you know, what if you have a candidate for a job who's just phenomenal and you're really working through the process and you come to find out that, you know, 15 years ago, uh, you know, this guy got into a fight with his girlfriend and he, he has felonious assault on his record. What do you do with this? And, do, you know, at what point? And one thing I'm going to say about this, is, and here's an example, is you can be a registered sex offender if while in college you were out drinking with your buddies and you stepped off to the side at two o'clock in the morning you're walking home let's say you decide to be a responsible person you're going to walk home from the bar but you have been drinking all night with your college buddies and you need to uh, go off to the side uh, because you've been drinking all night well you are now guilty of public indecency I know a young professional who is a registered sex offender because he needed to use the bathroom and he made the mistake of going on somebody's lawn on the way home. And unfortunately, somebody saw it and reported him and they pressed charges and it progressed. And this person is the lowest tiered registered sex offender. But at some point when a candidate comes to your operation and you did the background check and you find out well he's a registered sex offender and then you address the issue and the candidate says well here's what really happened the overall summary of all of these issues is how does this candidate affect your ecosystem you're going to add a new fish to the aquarium what's going to happen to the other fish and employees who made all the right choices, perhaps, or didn't wind up in a bad situation, or maybe they just simply didn't get caught. But employees who are squeaky clean don't want, in a lot of cases, they don't want to deal with this. They don't want the person sitting next to them unable to drive the company van. They might not want someone next to them that 15 years ago got into an altercation with their girlfriend and has this criminal record. So it's about you as the employer deciding what kind of culture you want, what you're willing to accept. But in a lot of cases, in so many cases, as the employer, you have to set your needs aside. Sometimes you have to set what you want aside. Certainly clients come first and perhaps employees come second. But in my view, the business owner, the stakeholder, the shareholders come third. And employees, again, who are squeaky clean, who real and many of them, when they're squeaky clean, they end up progressing in the operation. They end up running the shop. They end up getting the big projects or they end up managing uh, the big clients and that sort of thing. And you really have to defer to them and say, hey, if I'm going to bring this person in. And this is where I have to go to the HR professionals. 
If you as the business owner do a background check on a graphic designer or a video editor, somebody want to bring in and put on the payroll, do you have an obligation to share their background information with the rest of the team? Is there a privacy law? What are the laws here? What are the rules? And again, this would be a perfect example of a situation where I have more questions than answers. I always make this joke, and it's just not funny, but I tell it anyway. I have 48 credits at the University of Akron. Between 1992 and about 2003, I did more video projects as a freelancer and more traveling for the big client than I did college. But somehow, through a class here and a class there and some the 640 class, the intro to business, intro to marketing at 640 in the evening at the University of Akron's College of Business Administration. This was wonderful, but I did two classes, four classes a semester, maybe, and some summer and here. I did classes here and there. So the point being is I'm not qualified, probably not even qualified to have a podcast. I am qualified to throw things out there to get the discussion started. But we're getting a little off track here. And the real summary of what we were saying there is, do you as the business owner have an obligation to share the background information of other candidates as they come into the operation? What's the liability? What's the law? What are the rules? What's the right thing to do? Ultimately, with so much of this, it comes down to what is the right thing to do to be fair and reasonable for clients, for employees, for your operation that you've spent your life building? And what's the right thing to do to protect these groups, clients, and employees, and you as the stakeholder, and anything that threatens any of these groups threatens the whole operation. The whole thing falls apart if you bring someone who was convicted of some horrible crime against a child into a camp full of kids. Or if you even uh, attempt to do this, and certainly you need to do the right thing and you need to protect everybody involved. I want to spend a minute talking about the idea of contractors versus employees on the payroll. And the reason this is very relevant in this discussion is could you potentially work with somebody, a freelancer or a contract individual as a contractor to solve two uh, issues here. Number one, your crew in a contract employment relationship could get to know the candidate. They could get to understand their attitude and their uh, workflow and their uh, general philosophy and a little bit about them. And frankly, this is a great way to slowly introduce new talent into your organization is to hire them as a contractor. Now, if you have a candidate who is absolutely only interested in a full-time role at a company and they're out, you know, right now, as we're doing this recording, it's a tight labor market. And of course, in the, in the decades that I've been doing this, I've seen the up and down of everybody's out of work. And now everybody's, you know, every employer right now is taking all the good candidates It goes up and down like the roller coaster. So sometimes when we're in a lousy job market where, you know, candidates are plentiful, then, you know, you might not have to. But if you're in a situation where you're interviewing somebody to come in and work for you and they want to take a full time job right now and they're not interested in being a contractor, then this isn't going to work. But if you have somebody, maybe they're working somewhere else and they would like to consider coming to work for your operation. 
then maybe you employ them on Saturday mornings or maybe they work uh, on a project for you uh, on a contract basis and they do it at home. And the advantage, obviously, is a couple things is, like I said, you get to know them and your staff gets to know them. You see how they would fit in, but you don't need to worry about the background check at this point. They're not going to be in your operation. They're not going to be interfacing with clients. It's, you know, you probably don't have the right to do a background check. Well, I mean, you, you could. Uh, certainly we're uh, contractors to a lot of companies that will ask us to do a background check to have access to their facilities. Uh, and again, this is where we would defer to our HR consultant. You don't have to be an HR professional, but you sure need someone in your life, a good advisor like anything. You need a good advisor here. The other thing about contract uh, employees is there's no payroll taxes. You can 1099 them. And again, I am not giving you tax advice. Consult your CPA before you do anything. Please don't tell the IRS, well, Mosier said so on his podcast, so it must be the law. Please do not do that. Uh, or if you do and we all go to jail, we will run the prison's video production department. It'll be a great time. But the reality is you can avoid the uh, Social Security and the, the FICA, all that matching funds and the, the matching uh, federal taxes and city tax, you know, all the withholding. And you can save your your payroll costs about, you know, let's say 11% is probably what that match is. And you can save that by hiring somebody as a contractor versus putting them on the payroll. What you have to be careful of in working with contractors is being in violation of the contractor laws. And that might vary from state to state. And again, this is where we need uh, our HR consultants. And I'm hoping after this podcast that she reaches out and says, I listen to your podcast and I'm going to answer some of these questions. I love this discussion. I love the creative services field, but I enjoy being an employer. And I, I always want to do the right thing by everyone involved, clients and employees. So I think these things through very carefully. And it's almost therapeutic in a way to come in and share all of these in this podcast in, in hopes that uh, this conversation helps to guide someone else in my position how to start this conversation with an HR consultant. But think about being in violation of contractor law. And here's a big one. If somebody comes in at 9 a.m. and they work till 5 p.m. and they're at a workstation in your office, in your studio, and they do their work directed by you. So, you know, you stop in at 10, 10 a.m. and say, hey, uh, how are we coming on that? And you stop in again at, at lunchtime. Hey, can we preview what you have? And then by two o'clock, you've got a, a, a list of notes or changes to the video or suggestions. Or you say, hey, uh, with this project you're working on, let's have a meeting at it from two to three. And then we'll see where you're at at the end of the day. You're managing an employee. That's not a contractor. So you run into a little trouble because if this goes on too long, this goes on for six months or a year, and they're sitting in your office every day. From what I understand, the way it's been explained to me, that's an employee. So if someone goes out and shoots a video for your company, or they take pictures for your, they create some art, and they use their own materials and their own camera, and they do it on their own time, they're inspired by your direction, but the management of it doesn't happen in your office or doesn't happen in your space and that person is free to go out and create the product that they're going to bring back to you and once they create something that you like and then you pay them for it you're buying this from them that's a contractor 
the way it's been explained to me. So in, in a lot of cases, videographers that are freelance or contractors, they go out and shoot some video, they bring it to their client, the client pays them. That client could be a video production company. It, certainly in my career and in our operation, we have from time to time used freelance videographers. On a side note, my personal preference is to have everyone on my payroll. I rarely go to freelancers and contractors, and I don't know exactly why, other than I've always had a great team, and I've always wanted to be in the business of marketing the services of the people I have on staff. I know what our capabilities are. I've got everybody ready to go. Everybody's in the week. I know uh, weekly in production meetings, you know what our capacity is. We know what we can go out and sell. We know when we need to find more work. We know when we need to back off the marketing because we have too much work. We know how to manage our capacity. And, uh, you know, frankly, the contractors can be a great way to manage capacity. In the times that we've gone to freelancers or contractors, picked up the phone and said, hey, do you have a, a, a videographer friend that, you know, I've called my, my friends and said, hey, are you available? Do you have somebody that could come and you know, the, the other thing is, I don't want a contractor videographer that I don't know uh, meeting me for the first time on a on a shoot. So there's the work of if you have these contractors, you need to get to know them, do projects with them, maybe even make up projects so that if you are going to go to contractors or freelancers, that we have folks that we're not meeting for the first time in front of a client on a shoot. This is certainly not a good practice. So for all of those reasons, I've tended to. Uh, lean towards uh, using mostly our own staff or people within our circle, people we're comfortable with on our work. And frankly, this is another good reason to run an intern program. And with that intern program, uh, we have a couple of projects in place that are my passion projects. There's a couple things I do around Akron, Ohio here that are things I'm involved in that are perhaps things that Mosier Media or uh, some other production operations I'm involved in. Maybe we donate, or maybe we do things for the community. And much of that involves uh, producing videos uh, for nonprofits or for good community organizations. And frankly, these projects are a great place to bring a new person into the operation. And whether it's running your intern program to keep an eye on the young talent coming out of college to see who might be able to take an entry-level position in your operation, an intern program is phenomenal for that. But in terms of professionals with years of experience and bringing them into the operation, a great place for that is my community projects. And the community projects are the real deal. Many of them have Mosier Media stamped all over them. These are my projects. People come to me and say, hey, could your team help with this? So there are things I get involved with in the community that I'm donating because I like to do good community service. But the side benefit of doing these projects in the community is that it may or may not be the regular Mosier Media staff. It may be contractors and freelancers that I'm just getting to know. And that and the flip side of that is they need to get to know us. You know, if you've got a freelancer or contractor and they've been doing this 10, 15, 20 years, they might have their own roster of clients. They might be looking at Mosier Media going, would I want to take a full-time job there? What do these folks like to work with as a, as a client or as an employer? So that they're really auditioning us as much as we're auditioning them. And that goes back into the ecosystem. 
And how do you add a new fish to the aquarium? And the intern program and doing community projects where you work with somebody uh, that you wouldn't normally get a chance to work with or you wouldn't pick up the phone and say, hey, I've got a shoot next week. I need to staff it. Would you? You want to have worked with the person. You want the the talent to know our corporate culture, to know our operation, to know us. And, and certainly in front of a client, you don't want to be meeting somebody new and say, oh, yeah, Jeff here is part of our team, uh, but we're just meeting him. That, that doesn't make the client feel comfortable that how does Mosier Media show up and they don't know their crew. So, again, this is a, a great way to have those freelancers and contractors just do those, those passion projects and do them on a Saturday. And one other idea I'll toss out here. What if, in our aquarium analogy, and let's say you've built a team and you've got a great, let's say you've got a team of six or eight creatives and they're doing great work and you've got a video production company up and running. What would be wrong with having another aquarium? And I do some consulting work and I'm involved with a lot of different production studios and, and creative departments and, and I enjoy and each one is different. Every ecosystem is different. No two creative services firms have the same corporate culture. We're all different. And so, frankly, another idea in terms of managing uh, creatives and putting a team together might be to have another aquarium. It might be that you put together a team of young professionals in a room, in an operation, and then you solicit business specifically for that team. And there's wonderful talent out there coming out of college. And so you might decide in my second aquarium over here, I'm going to market this group under a different name. And I'm going to have these wonderful professionals that are just a year or two out of college. And they're going to take on those projects that might not have the proper funding or the right amount of turnaround time available, or just the resources in general, or maybe the business need for this project isn't great, so the funds to do up a real high-end video have not been allocated. The company or the client, and it's their money, the clients can do whatever they want. They say, hey, we're only going to spend X amount of dollars on this video because it's an internal piece. It's only going to be viewed by so many people. It's, it's important to us to have a video, but we don't need to do it up the way we do our marketing videos. It can have a slightly lower budget. You might look at that project and go, wow, I've got a team for you. I've got this other, and you, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I got this other aquarium. This is a different kind of fish. And they're, they do a great job. But in order to differentiate it, you might have it at a different location under a different name. And there's nothing wrong with that. And what if you had a, a couple of those going? That's, that's a whole nother discussion. That gets into some marketing. But again, this is a great way to do recruiting for your your video production operation, your creative services team, is to have that that extra team, that second aquarium. And whether that's your, your intern program, whether that's an entirely different operation doing a, a, a completely different level of creative service work, or whether it's your passion projects where you're getting a chance to work with a real talented and seasoned pro in the, in the market, and you want to work with that person, and you just go out and do a great project just to work with that person. There's a lot of ways to bring new people into your operation. And frankly you get to know somebody and this is this is again not not good at legal advice but if you get to know somebody on a very personal level there are times where they will tell you their background and that is not a ploy or a trick 
And that is not something that you should make a regular practice. But if you get to know somebody really on a personal level, then you can understand what they want out of the relationship. And then you can help them get where they want to go, whether that's a full-time job with your company, whether that's simply to interact with your company. And you do this for the benefit of your customers and the quality of the work that you're putting out. You do this for the benefit of the ecosystem you've already built. You do this for the benefit of your other employees who might have to work with this person up close in a studio in the office someday. And the summary of today's podcast as we wrap this up is that we need to recognize that the business owner taking on the HR role is taking on a lot and there is a lot to consider. And that if you have spent your life building a company and building a client base, you have a responsibility to protect the employees you have, protect the clients you have, protect everything you've built and being very careful when you add a new fish to the aquarium. And in all of that, it is also important to admit that we are all human beings. We all make mistakes. Every single one, none of us any better than anyone else. And at the end of the day, we need to treat everyone with dignity and respect, no matter where we find them, no matter where they find us. And that would be the greatest service we could do. Thank you for listening. I certainly enjoy doing these podcasts, and I'd be thrilled if you found us at youtube.com slash Media, facebook.com slash Media, on Twitter and Instagram at Media, my email dan at mosiermedia.com, and I certainly hope that this starts a great deal of discussion, and I would love it if my brilliant HR professional listens to this, reaches out and says, I got to tell you, listen to your podcast and uh, you're crazy. I get that a lot. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.